ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You've got to win. No one wants to pay good money to go and see a bad movie. So we've got to get the Wallabies winning and then we will get the Super Rugby Clubs winning as well. That is Rugby Australia's new chairman, Dan Herbert, on one of his many priorities in the new role. It feels as though the sport has been in crisis for much of 2023. The arrival and departure of a coaching great, a historically bad Rugby World Cup, and the ousting of a chairman. But the old saying goes that you should never waste a crisis. So how might the code's new chair leverage this one in particular? Will the states that punted Hamish McLennan commit to centralisation? What kind of centralisation? What of Joseph Suali'i and the NRL targets? Will Super Rugby franchises be cut? How hard will they go on the so-called hard decisions? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Tom Deason is a rugby writer with the Sydney Morning Herald. He has been all across this story. Tom, another eventful week in the world of Australian rugby. And the last time I spoke to you, Eddie Jones was gone. And we are wondering what that might mean for the chairman. Well, he's gone too. So can you just refresh us as to how and why Hamish McLennan was removed from his role? Yeah, clearly this has been bubbling away for some time. I think it's ultimately come to a head because of the Wallabies World Cup performance bowing out in the pool stages. Aussie rugby hits rock bottom. And then the Eddie Jones fiasco around his secret interview with Japan and ultimately has resigned um, very late last month on that. And then the conversation turned to Hamish McLennan, who effectively had a captain's pick to put Eddie Jones in that role and, and punting Dave Rennie. So that's been bubbling away for a few different weeks. Clearly various stakeholders have spoken about whether he's the right guy to lead Australian rugby forward as the chairman. And then over the weekend, it's come to a head. Rugby Australia received a letter in Hamish saying that we don't believe um, he's the right guy. And ultimately on Sunday night, um, he was voted out as chairman and ends a a pretty eventful three and a half year stint in charge. So I was super interested to hear McLennan talking about this being driven by money and control. And I think most people who heard that interview would assume that what he's getting at there is the state's desire to avoid centralisation. That was always looking like dangerous territory for him. Anytime you're trying to take power away from people, they don't like that. Is this essentially sort of Turkey's voting against Christmas? Like how much has that sort of driven this development? Like to a certain extent. So there's two different elements to centralisation. You've got the high performance arm whereby everybody in terms of the teams and the players will filter up through to Rugby Australia. And then you've got the commercial side of the business, which that's where the sticking point is. All the super rugby franchises and unions have in principle agreed to the high performance element of centralisation. And Dan Herbert, the incoming chairman, pointed that out in his his statement on Sunday night saying that this is not the issue. But what needs to be a non-negotiable is in and around the high performance because we need to get that right. You can't have these high performance rugby players, um, men and women, operating on two different programs that sometimes compete with each other. Clearly there's a few member unions, you know, Queensland, the ACT, who have got concerns about Rugby Australia taking control of their commercial um, aspects of their business. We have not changed and we won't change around centralisation of commercialisation. I always had a joke that would burn an effigy of me in the middle of Ballymore if, uh, if that was something we agreed to, but it's not right. But I think ultimately 
everyone in the game understands where rugby is at the moment and that the need to pull together on this. Phil War and Daniel Herbert are pretty keen to get this all through and I think it will eventually happen. It will take some time. It was m- more a question of whether Hamish was ruling with sort of unfettered power and, and was, look, there's a number of decisions that went into this. I don't think it's just centralisation. So if we're thinking about this through the prism of Hamish McLennan, then I assume other moves he's made, like Joseph Suali or the installation of Phil War as chief executive might start to come under question. Is, is that going to be the case here, would you expect? Yeah, possibly. Look, there's a shopping list of things you could ask whether or not they were the right decisions. You know, clearly Eddie Jones' appointment... Ultimately, the board has to sign off on that, but there's been so many whispers around whether that was effectively a captain's pick. Joseph Suali, it's been reported that Andy Marinos, the former CEO, completely disagreed with that decision to not only sign Joseph, but on the money that he is. Um, And that was effectively why he left as CEO. So there's a number of different factors and sort of bigger, broader questions as to how much power Hamish McLennan had on top of that board and whether the board were just sort of letting him do whatever he wanted. Look, clearly it's come to a head and the way that rugby works in this country is the federated model. So the states have the power to ultimately uh, orchestrate change for that board. And that's what they ultimately did over the weekend. And, and an extraordinary general meeting could have been called for the states to do that. They believed they had the nine of the 16 votes required to make that change. But ultimately it was the Rugby Australia board who came together after four or five meetings throughout the weekend and, and made the call to bring in Dan Herbert instead and, and send Hamish on his way. And Brett Clark, the head of the QRU, who was you know instrumental in driving this change, has come out in support of Chief Executive Phil War. Phil War, we've always supported. We've had Phil out here to talk to all the Premier Club presidents in the past, and it was an over overwhelming response that of support to fill his vision. We just probably felt Phil didn't have enough airspace or opportunity to actually do what he was um, employed to do. So it sounds like war is safe in the interim, but what sort of machinations is he going to have to deal with if he wants to hold on to his chief executive role, do you think? Look, he's got to listen and, and try and bring everyone together as well. It's it's also shouldn't be forgotten that Phil Wall was on the board of Rugby Australia for four or five years before he was elevated to the CEO. That's not a normal thing to do generally, Dan Herbert has obviously been on the board and has now been elevated to chairman. Those two guys were part of the rugby committee um, that effectively signed off um, and was instrumental in trying to appoint Eddie Jones. Now, you can argue that Hamish McLennan made that call and told them this is the way we're doing it, but clearly I think I would love to know Phil's thoughts on, on actually working with Hamish and how that was and whether he did feel like he was being hamstrung to certain a certain extent. But now he has a bit of clear air. I think it, the partnership between... Daniel Herbert and Phil Wall will be will be good, but there's a lot that they've got to sort. Um, the only benefit, I guess, is that there's no rugby for three or four months, so they can try and get the house in order before really trying to restore some credibility to the code. We touched on Suali'i, and Dan Herbert spoke about motivation around looking at National Rugby League talent, and it feels as though, from what he's saying, that's going to be a thing of the past, that that's not going to be a pathway that they pursue again, fair to say? Yeah, I think absolutely. Phil Wall's gone on the record and said that's not our priority at the moment. Dan Herbert has alluded to that as well. I think we need to have an insular focus right now on rugby and the people within the game and make sure that we, uh, I guess, pay respect to the players and the people who are working within it because I think most of the problems we can solve with what we have. You know, Hamish McLennan spoke this week and said 
he would take five Suwalitis and do it all again. So that's just a bit of a difference in opinions on, on whether or not rugby should be trying to target marquee players from the league. But I would imagine that that will quieten down a bit because that Suwaliti deal really did ruffle a lot of feathers. It, it totally changed the, the player market in terms of values and, and also caused a bit of friction amongst guys who thought they were, should be getting paid more and they've just seen a chairman and a board sign off on a, a massive contract, which is far beyond what they're getting paid. Let's just touch on Herbert, if we can, for a moment. He was saying all the right things off the back of his installation into the role of chairman, saying that he believes that this sport can be great again and there are ways that you can fix the sport and he's confident he can do that. So what does he actually need to do? Because he was a little bit light on the detail. Absolutely. I just think rugby needs a bit of continuity and just to calm down there's been such a crazy year on so many different fronts yeti jones thing went so badly we've had a total change of a chairman fans are are disillusioned i think everyone just needs to pause and reflect on it and dan herbert was the first to admit that he didn't think he would be coming into that chairman role it's hard to say i had on friday afternoon i had no thoughts of this whatsoever so it's a bit of a shock and my head's spinning a little bit in terms of uh you know, the last probably 48, 72 hours. I think he's probably also trying to work out where to from here, what the game needs to do. Bit of time in the saddle with Phil Moore and working out how they can work together. I would be surprised if they're as active in the media as Hamish McLennan probably was. I mean, I'm, I'm much more of a behind-the-scenes person. I won't be front and centre as because I think a, a CEO should do that. Clearly the main priority is a centralisation, trying to get everyone on the same page with that appointing a Wallabies coach, and even before that, appointing a um, director of high performance, which is a, a role that will sit above the Wallabies. That's an incredibly important role. I think we need to place a high performance director to then run the process for the head coach. I think if there's anything we can learn after the last 15 or 20 years, a coach isn't a silver bullet. I'm interested in franchises and the number of them. We heard in the wake of the Wallabies World Cup exit, you know, people like former player and now Ramwick coach Stephen Hoyles making an impassioned plea to cut the number of teams. Broadcast wants more games and more products and more teams, but more teams makes us unsuccessful, and it hasn't helped for a long time, and a lot of us have been saying it. And every time you say it, people jump out at you and they say, oh, why do you want to get rid of this team and that team? So you're saying it has to go back to three? At least start there. You know, it's a hard call to make. But do you get the sense a new administration in Herbert brought in off the back of the intervention from member unions like WA, ACT, Queensland... Surely the appetite for that sort of dramatic overhaul, it goes on the back burner, doesn't it? Possibly, but I do think it's a conversation they will have. I think history shows that the fewer number of super rugby teams um, has created better continuity and cohesion for the Wallabies ultimately. Now, the Western Force were punted in 2017. The Melbourne Rebels came very close there. That was an extremely tumultuous period in Australian rugby to do that. Um, and then COVID came and the Western Force came back and Australian rugby is back to five teams. I do think that deep, deep down, Phil War and Dan Herbert, who were products of a system where there wasn't five super rugby teams, there was three. That's a conversation they might want to have. It'll be very difficult to do so. But if they believe it's in the, the best interests of the Wallabies, and as Dan Herbert said yesterday, they are the shot front window of Australian rugby. You get the Wallabies winning and everything else seems a lot better. It might not be a conversation for now, but I think Super Rugby in its current iteration will change in the next sort of three to five years. So much water to go under the bridge. It's pretty fascinating right now. Tommy Decent, thanks so much for pulling it all apart for us. No worries, Pat.
headlines. Harley Reid has finally, finally been made a West Coast Eagle after the WA team took the Victorian number one in the AFL draft. The lead into the opening selection was dominated by questions about whether a Melbourne club might convince West Coast to trade their pick, paving the way for Reid to stay in Victoria. Well, Reid was given the famous number nine jumper by former Eagle Nick Natanui. I was just super grateful for the people around me and all my friends and family in my local club I've got on me jumper here. So I was... And my Bendigo Pioneers, so I'm super grateful to have them and they're all back home um, at the local club. Got a great set up there, so I appreciate all you guys and thanks for the support and I couldn't do it without you guys, so love you all. Legendary Carlson Premiership player Ted Hopkins has died aged 74. Hopkins kicked four goals in the second half of the 1970 VFL Grand Final to help overturn a 44-point lead from bitter rivals Collingwood. He also founded Champion Data, which was pivotal in reshaping Australian sport and helping games take a more statistical mindset. Football. And Lionel Messi is auctioning off five of the shirts he wore at the 2022 World Cup. How much, you ask? 10 million US is the collective expected price. You might remember that Socceroo Cam Devlin swapped shirts with Messi after the Aussies' loss to Argentina in the round of 16. So theoretically, that shirt is now worth millions. You wonder if he's going to sell or if he's going to hold on for dear life like the crypto bros. And the Cronulla Sharks playmaker Matt Moylan has been released from the final year of his contract with the club to sign a two-year deal in the Super League with Lee. I feel like he's just a booed like last year, but he's actually 32, which makes me even older. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to Fox Footy and Stan Sport for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.